1: Hello and welcome to Food for Thought, a podcast gab fest where in a multiracial mix of queer writers gather around the table to talk about sex, <gasps> identity, Ooh. culture, uh. what we like to read and who we like to read. Food for Thought, giving you that good podcast nut. Yes. I love the oh. podcast
2: nut. What kind of nuts do you like? I love the run nut. I love the nut nut. I mm. love the... The peanut nuts. I love the reading nut. nut. The reading nut the is reading a good nuts? one. Yeah. Oh my oh, god! god. I will not participate. <laughs> what is giving I, you the I, reading nut right now? Uh, I am reading Sharon Old's new book Arias.
1: Ah, I'm reading Severance oh. by Ling Ma. I love that post-apocalyptic nice.
3: nut. Yes. you yes. love
2: that post-apocalyptic I nut. I mean, because death is so near. Yeah. <laughs> so I, it's like little death waiting for big death. I mm-hmm. loved
3: being on tour, and there were not one but two copies of Severance I, by I, Ling Ma,
2: floating around in our Airbnb. So true. Producer Alex picked it up as well well because she started reading Tommy's copy and mm-hmm. then was like oh this yeah, yeah, this yeah. is what I need right now I mean it's just
1: like about a virus that like originates in China and then gets to the United States and turns
2: everyone into zombies but like NBD that virus Dennis what's your favorite nut
4: Oh my, well, okay, I got the most incredible chicken nugget nut in Ooh, Portland. love the nugget nut. Yes. I didn't know a nugget really nut good. could be a nut. Oh, and wow. then my best friend took oh. me to Super Deluxe, and I was like, this is truly, <laughs> <laughs> truly a nut. If running could be this good, I might actually try to get the run nut. Run, I, running is that good, Dennis. Running I, is, I, is that good. Here's I,
1: good. the thing about Dennis' nugget you. nut is that Dennis also does not believe in getting the ketchup nut. So I didn't care about the nugget oh, nut. Wow. There's no I ketchup also do nut. don't
2: have a ketchup nut. Also no, my honey I am, mustard nut I'm fully though. getting my drive an insane nut right now. Your is gone through the, the honey floor. Not hurting anyone but yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I love hurting myself. That's my sexuality. Nut. The honey <laughs> mustard nut. It's the and honey mustard nut.
1: I am Tommy Teeps Pico, indigenous American poet, screenwriter, single and actively mingling and yesterday Joe farted in the car. And it, I, for a second it smelled like overcooked meat <laughs> That quickly went rancid Wow! And it was hot wow. Alright I'm
3: Fran, I'm a writer, I'm an editor And I'm retiring use of the word nut <laughs> <laughs> Even in the case of nuts literal nuts I don't even want to hear it I don't want to hear it anymore Y'all are disgusting and you are killing every joke in existence I'm looking directly at Joe <laughs>
4: Um, She has truly fully had it. But I am Dennis Norris II, and I'm a reader and a writer, a lapsed feelist, and now I have to admit that I am ironically allergic to many... A literal nut. Wow. wow. You do
2: have that allergy nut. I
4: I have. I truly have (laughs) that allergy allergy nut.
2: Stop. Get that EpiPen (laughs) nut. I am Joseph Osmondson, scientist, nonfiction writer. And are are the girls saying nut now? Is that what (laughs) the girls are (laughs) doing? The girls are doing. The girls are saying nut.
1: Dennis, why don't you tell us what the girls have on the menu this evening? (laughs) All right. You guys, for today's episode, we bring you a special edition of Swipe Right, Swipe Left.
4: We pair some tasty thoughts. For our main discussion, we bring you Zaddy's galore. And for dessert, Fran's got a little extra something special. Mm-hmm.
1: Nut. Mm. It's time we start the top of the show the way any good tab should, with a little tease, our uproarious appetizer segment, Amuse Bouche, And to amuse our booshes, Dennis? You guys, I did a zaddy edition
4: of our classic swipe right, swipe left. Oh my god, you were born for this, Dennis. uh, You know, I you know I love a zaddy. It's my favorite thing to say in the bedroom. Mm, Oh god, some listeners (laughs) will know this. Um, So we're gonna start off easy, and then it's gonna get a little a little harder. I'm sure it is. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Um, swipe right, swipe left. Jake Gyllenhaal.
1: I didn't actually consider him a daddy until he was in that uh, Spider-Man: Far From Home movie. Oh my <laughs> god! And he had that—he had that whole cultural moment with Tom Holland. Oh and my god! He was looking haggard yes. and gray, and yes. I was like, yes. so
3: real." Oh yeah. I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal, come out of the closet so that we can <laughs> Please, truly
2: satisfy <laughs> you. I swipe left. I can't tell the difference between him and any other person that's mm. honestly fair yeah, he's just <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's just I, hot
3: he's just hot person on google you know what i mean i, I, I don't find like the beard that. really uh, oh my god oh, the I beard, think his is, beard is his best absolutely I don't like, I don't it like is a, it's
4: the best feature wow. see jake gyllenhaal for me is like what the next person is for some of you guys because like i'm scared when they're a little bit too big um
1: Swipe yeah, right, like 5'11", I would yeah, say. Yeah, right, right.
4: yeah, yeah. That's 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 a good size differential for me. Um, swipe right, swipe left. The Rock.
1: Um, I don't think anyone will be surprised when I say swipe right. I want him to put me through an old-timey laundry machine <laughs> and literally extract all moisture from my body and leave me a flat cr- cracker. You yes. stole yes.
4: that yes. joke, <laughs> Tommy. You, you are stole too good that at this. Joke.
2: It's mine now. <laughs>
4: Oh my god He's
2: five, so I swipe left I, He's just too big for me I He's do, too big for me I oh. do I, yeah, <laughs> I do enjoy him in ballers And it's been fun to watch him Really grow As yeah. an actor I do love True. The rockazons Yeah yeah right yeah, yeah, yeah yeah, So I, I swipe <laughs> right on him As an actor and a cultural sort of the thing, ob- yeah, ob- yeah, yeah. thing that's happening yes. But I swipe left In terms of having sex with him Oh my god yeah. I, would, so I would
4: swipe right on him Doing like ASMR for me though Like I think that would be hot I really enjoy his voice But yeah I'm not trying to be Flattened
1: into a literal pancake I just want him to squeeze me Until until my head pops
0: off. <laughs> <laughs> oh my
4: god. And he
1: could do it too. You know, he could do it. Could
4: that do it. that is true. He could do it. Um, swipe right, swipe left, Ted Danson. Ooh. Oh yum yum, 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 yum,
2: yum, 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 Joe, who's Ted Danson again? <laughs> Ted Danson is an actor who got famous for cheers. He was the bartender. Oh. Right. And is have recently come back and plays um. Uh, An important character, and I will not specify any further because I don't want to spoiler alert it, uh, on The Good Place. And he is, The Good Place is one of those shows where everyone of every age and every type is so fucking sexy. And Mm. he's so sexy and funny and charming and just like, you know, I don't love, typically a zaddy is not my type, but I, oh, just like, he's so sexy and cute. Mm, Okay. I love, swipe right.
4: (laughs) Um... Okay, I would swipe right on Cheers, Ted Danson, who oddly I know... Uh, oh my god um, wow y'all's age which is, is so jumping weird. out because I haven't even I haven't even heard, of heard of Cheers this, before today but I swipe left on the good place Ted Danson have you seen it? I have I oh. have I've actually seen two seasons of it wow. I, was, I almost was going to include Cheedy on the list but I thought I was like I don't know if he's really zaddy enough not, not zaddy not very like sexy zaddy, but not like zaddy yeah so I I'm swiping left on, new, on current Ted Danson yeah a little too goofy a little too crafty for me I don't like him crafty um <laughs> Swipe right, swipe left... Mahershala Ali. Oh my
3: god. I mean, it's oh just it's not god. controversial. It, it's, no, not at all. It's truly, not. honestly <laughs> exquisite. Just prime specimen of human being. <laughs> just <laughs> it cannot. It's so incredible. Oh, he's 6'2". Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. is like, yeah. I need Googling to make sure Mahershala he's tall enough. Me. I want him to, to fill me
2: with candy and then I want to be the pinata
0: Smack! at his next birthday party. <laughs> Open. <laughs> yes.
3: I want him to, to hold me <laughs> Like a cello and just
0: play me. <laughs>
3: <laughs> pulling my inner, pulling all of your <laughs> in, back and forth. <laughs> <laughs>
4: oh my God. Stroking down, stroking up, Ugh. all the bow strokes. Um, all right. Swipe right, swipe left. Kumail Nanjiani.
3: Oh. My god. The glow up. Let me tell you. What happened to him? If y'all haven't he literally seen literally blew up. The photo of and Johnny um uh, uh shirtless uh, after doing rigorous training uh for the Eternals, a new Marvel series he's doing. As if I needed another reason to love and Johnny. Exactly. Oh my god. He's an exquisite comedian. He's funny. He's always standing up for people of color representation mm-hmm. in the media and it's just like in all of my favorite cultural objects in existence. And now he's even hot. Water? Like, yeah, what is going on? And the best part is that when he posted that, you know, photo of his like new body, I was like, there is
1: no way that's hit that that's real. That Photoshop, was, that was, yeah, Photoshop, Photoshop. He had
3: an extremely long caption that gave really, to me, responsible context that was like, this costs a lot of money that a studio paid for, and it's not realistic for your everyday person. And like, I've you know dealt with body issues like my you know throughout my career and like this isn't realistic but like I'm posting it because it's still something that I'm proud of.
2: Yeah. I mean it was remarkable the the thing that he did to his body. I actually preferred him without that body right. to to be QH uh but so and I think that he was very uh thoughtful and respectful in that post but yeah I mean it, oh. it I, was beautiful. Just oh I mean, a man God. with a sense of humor. Yeah, you know? I immediately yeah. sent that yes. photo to to um
3: my trainer and I was like, "Can we do this like average Joe glow, average Joe glow up?" Because I w- would you, love to. And, to, and your to- trainer said, uh, uh, "Baby, step no. love. <laughs> no, no. He was just like, he was like, "Sure, yeah, end of next week."
2: <laughs>
4: he, he told me I need to eat. Swipe right, swipe left. John Ham's
1: bulge. Mm, I Google it at least once a week to see if there are new pictures. Um,
3: swipe it's... left. He's not my type. Swipe right. Yes. Yeah. Oh right.
2: my. I, I agree with Fran swipe left. I mean, the you know. bulge is the most interesting thing about him.
3: Yeah, and I'm not even oh. I'm not a dick sizes so I don't care. I
2: I I can't
4: get enough of that bulge. Mm. I am ready. Any day, any the time. The way Dennis
2: is grabbing the microphone, it right? just, oh, holding it, it like a dick.
4: just liter, literally, my hand. It would fill up my hands. I, I ju- love it. His ham would fill His up your
3: hand. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I, but I, okay, here's the thing about the bulge, though. Love the bulge. Love the big bulge. Love the bigness, the thickness, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. In theory, mm-hmm. I don't like it in real life, but. I like the idea of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes we prefer the idea more than the actual thing. Yes.
4: Sometimes. That is thing. my entire sexuality. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. All right, Um. right. Let's see. We're going to go. We're going to go down to Odell Beckham Jr. Oh, wow. <sighs> very hot. Oh, what do we say So
2: think?
3: hot. Hot and also just like uh, is constantly accused of being gay and yes. never answers that question in a homophobic way yep you know what i mean he's always just like if i was why would that be a problem but, like, I've said this again, y'all. Like, I'm not. You know what I mean? Like, the
2: video online of him voguing, though, uh, right? just, oh. I'm not saying that it has anything to do with his sexuality. I'm just saying that as someone who is, like, it's appreciative of a, cool. of a of a mm-hmm. man who enjoys his femininity. Oh, my God. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just like, oh. And, and he yeah. he's a
1: sports person?
3: He, is a, he, he is plays a, a sports player. ball.
2: He gets that football nut. Okay. Because mm-hmm. he's also, dying. like, a
3: bit of a fashion icon. Yeah. So yeah. I yeah, saw he was
2: yeah, yeah. 5'11", and I was like, that's He's That's not yeah, I actually thought he was person. taller. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: I sort of love like I sort of love all that energy wrapped up in a in a not that 5'11 is really small, but like in a in a smaller body that there's a certain appreciation of the femininity, there's like the sort of masculine aggression of like being a professional football player and everything else that that I guess entails. I don't know anything about it. Um but I love all of that wrapped up in a tight
2: little body I, like that. Also He's 5'11", but is fucking jacked as shit. Yes. Yeah, I don't know if I would yes. call that a tight little body, you know That's what I mean? Yes.
4: Fair. Fair. like
2: 200 pounds of pure fucking muscle. True. Alright,
4: um, Trevor Noah. Swipe right, swipe left. Is
3: Trevor Noah a zaddy? Mm.
4: That's why I put it on the list. Is he a zaddy, I don't
3: know though? He's maybe a dad. I don't know if he's a zaddy. He, I could see him as a
1: dad. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. He's got a, he seems a little too, like, clean faced to me yeah, yeah, be like yeah. a yeah.
4: dad
3: or a daddy oh.
4: you know but he's nice I wonder if he's like low like 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 high stealth saddie. like like he just turns it on in the bedroom in a way
2: that none could of us that. could believe could see that <laughs> I, I just, like to believe that I swipe right on, on him because I think when he was given the Comedy Central show we really got to see him learn on that job and become way better at it than he was on day one and so it's been really fun to enjoy that journey also he has him.
1: like a lot of really interesting people on yep you yep, know, you like to writers totally and shit. Him. Exactly. Yeah
4: yeah. yeah, yeah, Um, Okay. Swipe right. Swipe left.
3: Vin Diesel. Oh, mm. I think we all know. We all know what Tommy's answer here is. I mean, okay, here's the thing. You're talking about modern day versus past Vin Diesel here. I would say
1: 95 True. Vin Diesel, 100%. But he's yes, also I like agreed. 5'10", I believe. Oh, yeah. well. He's not super tall. He has the illusion of height. <laughs> but, but
4: he but, is, in fact, short.
1: Doesn't I feel like some? So
4: this doesn't work for Tommy. But I feel like for me, sometimes, like all that thickness makes up for 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 the height. He
1: does mm-hmm. have a very low voice. I will yes, say, yes, he like, does. I can yes, imagine does. Um, does turn like, you on, Him, Tommy? him saying that... my name in the bedroom, Tommy. Shut up, Joe. Tommy. You ruin everything. <laughs>
4: oh my gosh. And I think we'll close it out with one who might feel a little old school. Um, swipe right, swipe left. Usher,
1: oh Ooh. wow! I nostalgia. swipe right on Usher's cameo in Hustlers. Yeah, <laughs> that was so good, iconic. Yeah, yeah, iconic.
2: <laughs> so it's good. Time. Swipe right on I'm that. Obsessed.
4: Usher might have been in some ways my sexual awakening. Actually, Mm. like I talk a lot about like Brad Pitt and Jonathan Taylor Thomas, but like I was also at that age when Usher was was like really big, the
3: horniest icon.
1: He like never had a shirt on ever. No, he was was allergic
4: to shirts. He was allergic. And I love. I I That's an allergy nut I'd like to
2: have. (laughs) Wow,
4: (laughs) wow. All right, you guys. Thanks for playing this edition of Swipe 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 Right. Swipe Left. Hi, thoughts. This is Dennis in the studio, and I'm so excited to be doing our second Thought You Should Know segment of the season. I've got with me the iconic, the incredible, <laughs> the queer, um, woman who is bringing Frump back loud and <laughs> proud. Um, dear heart Emma Eisenberg. Um, just to tell you a little bit about the segment. Basically, in our thought, you should know we bring a queer, um, creative into the studio one-on-one with one of us thoughts, and we have a conversation about their work, about their life, um, and why we want you to be aware of who they are. Um, so just to tell you a little bit about Emma Eisenberg. Um, Emma is a dear friend of mine from college. We've known each other for many years. She's an incredible writer. Um, and her writing has appeared in Granta McSweeney's Tin House, Home of the Thoughts, Ooh. the New Republic, Salon, Slate, and elsewhere. Um, and she's been supported by the, by the Malay Colony for the Arts and the Elizabeth George Foundation. Yesterday was the book birthday of Emma's debut book, which is called The Third Rainbow Girl The Ooh. Long Life of a Double Murder in Appalachia. Ooh. Yes. Mm-hmm. I wanna take a minute um just to revisit your glowing New York Times review mm-hmm. that came out two days ago. Um just because I kind of wanna um give people a sense of what this uh, murder that we're talking about is. And mm-hmm. then um after I just read this paragraph, if you wanna like just talk a little bit a little bit more about the the like what you drop us into as a reader mm-hmm. when we open up the book. Um, But this is taken from the New York Times book review um, on The Third Rainbow Girl, The Long Life of a Double Murder in Appalachia. In 1980, three young women set out from Arizona to hitchhike to a peace festival known as the Rainbow Gathering in the mountains of West Virginia. Only one of them survives. Several men in Pocahontas County in rural West Virginia are accused of the murders. A hard-drinking local mechanic is believed to have been the one who pulled the trigger. But that's where any simple telling of the tale ends and the murders and who committed them become a decades-long mystery that nearly tears apart a small Appalachian community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a great sort of way to frame um, kind of the the just the basics of what's going on. But can you tell us more? Mm-hmm. Um, anything that readers should know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that like so many um, of the books I admire, I was trying to uh, use this crime as a lens into a place. And um, actually, Melissa Dalbosque, who wrote Bloodlines, is such a good example of that, who was the reviewer for the New York Times Book Review, which is such a gift. Um, obviously, the uh, big example that people look to a lot is In Cold Blood. Um, right. And I think that this crime... It was not just what happened, but it was actually how it was investigated that becomes the story. So, Mm -hmm. um, yes, there were three women. One of them actually split ways with uh, her two friends at the very last moment after hitchhiking together across America. And it was really fun and exciting to get to document this really cute and amazing three-way friend journey journey. Um, as women hitchhikers in 1980. That was maybe some of the most fun sections to write in the book. Um, however, yes, Liz Dondra does split off from these two other women. She uh, ends up, she says she has like a premonition or a gut feeling that she should actually go north, go in a different direction. Vicki and Nancy come to West Virginia and are shot there. And um, many, many years goes by in that time. And what actually became most interesting to me was not the deaths, um, but actually write the ways that that sort of calcified into a story, saying Mm -hmm. like, these women from elsewhere died where we live, and really thinking about, um, from an insider's perspective, like, what does it mean to be told all your life that where you live is backwards and shitty and violent, and then to have something happen that sort of seems to confirm that story, and the ways that people both sort of swallowed that and fought against it really played out in the investigation of the murder, which Mm -hmm. took about 13 years. um, And there was this other competing story that was available to folks that was like, this person from somewhere else came and committed these murders. And what was fascinating to me was that people really wanted to believe actually that someone local had done it because Mm -hmm. it really... um, was a, it was a more satisfying story. It was a story that sort of already confirmed a lot of uh, things that people felt, a lot of shame, I think, that people felt. Mm. There was just a really amazing episode on the podcast Dolly Parton's America.
4: Yes. yes. Oh, my gosh. Whichever which everyone should listen to. <laughs> the Food for That group chat is always talking about Dolly Parton's America, y'all. Mm.
0: So well done. And the episode is actually just listens to a group of students um, in a university at Tennessee Basically saying that they are still um given and they just still feel so much shame about their Appalachian accents, and that wow. just really like opened up a lot of space in my brain to articulate that, yes, like what I felt a lot living in this place was people feeling just this shame, which is historically um makes sense it's it's a long historical. Uh, story that we tell as Americans about the shame that is Appalachia, the the shame that is this place, um, and that that emotional truth really influenced a lot of people in the county to act in ways that were less than platinum, um, ways that are very confusing to us now in this moment, but that provide a lot of um, fraught and interesting ground to talk about uh, West Virginia in particular since West Virginia is the only state entirely within what we call Appalachia. Mm-hmm. Um and just the ways that it's its history bear out um the story of that shame, but bear out also a lot of amazing strengths and um different stories.
4: Yeah. I have to admit also that um sort of especially in the Earliest pages of the book. One of the most surprising things to me was how much everyone insisted on the fact that it was it was someone who was from there yeah. who had committed these crimes on these visitors, as opposed to um, someone who also was passing through. Maybe someone who was associated with the Rainbow Gathering, which yeah. um, the the Rainbow Gathering, which was basically a huge group of hippies, um, had kind of different kinds of reputations in the community. Some people were really into it. Some people were sort of rolling their eyes. Um, and so I always think of people as wanting to, like, protect those places that they're mm-hmm. from and, and and holding them up with such pride that it was really, really interesting, that pathology um, that eventually for me, I was like, oh, I think maybe this is associated with... Um, With shame, and the other thing that I was Mm -hmm. thinking about, um, that I think this flows into nicely, is the conversation around trauma and how trauma can influence a whole community. Mm -hmm. Um, That I think is really palpable through the through the book, and it's I think you really feel those reverberations in this story.
0: Yes, I feel like I did so much reading about trauma mm-hmm. for this book and so much just speaking with people whose trauma was still so palpable. Um, the strange and intense thing about beginning a juicy, old, reported project is there just strands everywhere going in all different directions, and it kind of felt like whatever direction I moved in, there was more trauma. Um,
4: <laughs> well, and so one thing also related to that that I was thinking about... Um, is as as a queer writer from one queer writer to another queer writer mm. um, and I'm not well versed in like um, sort of crime reported crime narratives like it's mm. not my area of expertise me at all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you have like written one, which is incredible. And I know that like everyone talks about it. It's in, it's like in the blurb on the cover of the book, but it really is true for me. It held me in the same way as In Cold Blood did. It, mm. it fascinated me in the same way as In Cold Blood did. And I sometimes wonder if those of us who are running around the world with perhaps um more trauma and of course we are living in a world full of traumatized people but mm. if those of us who are artists um are running around with with more trauma if we're sometimes attracted to um diving deep into the stories that have sometimes a different trauma yeah. than than the ones that we're maybe living with or the ones that are most cl- most sort of clearly um at the surface of our own experience does that make sense
0: yeah i think that's Really smart and probably very true. I just had a really like wonderful and kind of life-changing chat with um, the writer Sarah Perry, who wrote this oh, book After the Eclipse. Her. I know. And um, I feel like that book should be more widely read as well. It takes place in Maine. Um, and she and I were just talking, yes, about like it seems, and also Alex Marzano and Lesnich, uh their book, The Fact of a Body. and while all of our books are very different, I think we were noticing, like, wow, we're all queers writing yeah. about these rural um, murders. And we were sort of asking the question, like, is there something about queerness that is attracted to murder? <laughs> is it the queer death drive? The
4: last thing that I kind of wanted to talk about um, in terms of the 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 sort of larger story here is the conversation around women and women's bodies. Mm. And in general in our society right now, in the literary world and outside of it, there's a lot of conversation around bodies, which I think is really mm. um, fascinating and really wonderful in a lot of ways. And here you literally have a story that hinges on the death of two women's bodies yeah. and the finding of those of those bodies. And then um, you have a whole like community, in some ways a whole community of men that are implicated in different ways and at different times. And I'm mm-hmm. just like really interested in um i guess the dynamics of of that conversation the ways in which how we're talking about women and women's bodies today um impact this story that that happened sort of pre that conversation because this yeah. this murder took place in 1980 um mm-hmm. so i'm curious if that's something that you were like thinking about or just like if you have thoughts around that conversation
0: totally i mean um i also got the benefit of getting to read a couple of books that I think are really important in this conversation, like Alice Boland's Dead Girls and um, Rachel Monroe's Savage Appetites, both books that um, really grapple with this very question. And I was very worried about um, starting a book with two dead women's bodies. That was... Yeah. At, at first, I was like, I just I want to start with them alive. I want to yeah. start with... Um, the, these two women who died, Vicky Durian and Nancy Santamero. I want to start with them alive. I want to start with their road trip. I want to talk about all the things that they cared about and that they were kind of like fat and hairy and weird and that resonated with me and yeah. whatever. Um, yeah. Like I mean, definitely part of what drew me to the story was the physical bodies of Vicky and Nancy. The fact that they were not these like glamour pageant queens, these women that we like to hold up as the perfect dad girls. They were kind of this idea of of promise like that you we are only supposed to be sad if you die if you are very promising like if you are innocent if you are mm-hmm. um if you have a particular narrative and they were both like sort of like me like not really sure what to do with their lives extremely um searchers people that were willing to take some risks just to kind of see what was out there and so i wanted to make sure not to then shrink them down and make them these mm-hmm. symbols, which is often what we do with yes. women's bodies in um, crime stories. However, the both and, which is one of the themes of this book, um, the the and is that they did die. Their bodies were found. Mm-hmm. That is a fact. And their bodies were found by a guy who I then knew and who was the dad of yeah. a guy I had a close relationship with. And that the fact of literally finding their forms their flesh in um a place was something that really stuck with him and and um i could see his trauma many years later still about that moment so i had to kind of like think in the both end of that and just be like well i don't want to make them a symbol i do want to tell the facts this did happen but i tried to handle that by um not opening the book with their deaths but rather opening Mm -hmm. the book with the place Mm -hmm. yeah with the place of um cons county and and sort of putting them in context of,, um, they were travelers, and this is the yeah. place they they ended up. and um and also trying to not not look, not have the camera of the book look directly at their bodies in a sort of lurid way, but almost actually have the camera of their bodies look at them from the perspective of different local folks who participated in this story. So yeah. I try to quote the exact words as much as possible that people used, and also, the exact documents because I think what is written and said about women's dead bodies is actually a lot more interesting than um, making it be sort of a straight narrative of, yeah. of what they looked like and who they were and how they were shot and all these things. Like, absolutely. That the material becomes the, the meta-narrative. Like, mm-hmm. what are people saying? That's actually more interesting than what happened.
4: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm just right now being returned to this moment where, um there are a number of, like sort of false confessions in this book. Mm-hmm. and um, there's one in particular where uh, a character describes how they theoretically got rid of a body. And um, once it becomes clear that this is false, it's not clear what the source of that particular sentence is. Mm-hmm. um, and but but the conclusion, what you know is that, um, one of these men has thought this before about doing about doing this with a woman's body, and it's just like a fascinating um reverberation that I think kind of reverberates the whole text and the whole mm-hmm. story um mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Emma, I want to thank you so much for joining me in the studio and talking about um this incredible, incredible nonfiction—I keep wanting to call it a novel because I'm so used to saying the word novel, but mm. it is not at all a novel. It is—it's
0: um, a nonfiction fully... novel, if you wish. <laughs> yeah,
4: well, yeah, and it is. It does read like a like like just like in cold blood. It reads like a nonfiction novel. Um, the third Rainbow Girl, The Long Life of a Double Murder in Appalachia, and if folks want to follow you on the internet, mm. um, what are the best ways to do that?
0: Oh well, on all of the platforms, I am Frumpenberg. Yeah. Like, Trump meets Eisenberg. And it's just been such an amazing delight. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. This message comes from iHeartRadio sponsor, Mercury Insurance. If you're looking to save some money, you should really think about getting a quote from Mercury, because Californians save an average of $677 with Mercury. It's quick and easy, and in just a few minutes, you might find you could save a lot of money on your auto and home insurance. Plus, Mercury was named one of America's best insurance companies by Insure.com four years in a row. Low rates, big discounts, great insurance. Go to MercuryInsurance.com today to get a quote.
1: Mm. It's time we got to the
2: meat of our discussion, the thought process spelled T-H-O-T. T-H-O. T-H-O-T.
1: And to sling our micro-meet this
2: week, it's <laughs> Time. I, I'm going to send a dick pic out to the group chat again no, just to dare. counteract this I narrative. Luckily, have this? never seen it. But <laughs> if you do with...
3: send it, HR. Okay? HR.
2: Uh, oh. Alex is going to come in and fire me. We talked about zaddies years ago, way back in season two, where teams opened up the conversation about at, By asking us who – where Teeps opened up the conversation by asking us who our North Stars were, who we rode to when all other light had gone out. Wherever we go, the Thoughts get specific questions about this episode, about mentors and zaddies. So we decided to revisit the discussion and give you a second serving. Mm. A zaddy calls to mind a man perhaps of a certain age and also perhaps of a certain level of accomplishment. He may have silver hair at his temples. (laughs) He is settled into a career and into a life. He's gotten over a lot of the issues of gay youth. He knows what he wants sexually and he knows what he needs he knows himself well enough to offer himself freely you're literally just describing tommy that is
3: literally a description of tommy to a (laughs) t i'm here for he knows knows what he wants sexually sexually. uh pillow (laughs)
4: exactly a
2: nap (laughs) ambient so i'm (laughs) actually I am hard as fuck just <laughs> reading this and I know we want to define zaddies specifically and talk about our own relationships to the zaddies if we want them or if we want to be them and how queer it is to fuck your mentors <laughs> uh, and the oh. ethics of this but first thoughts, I wanted to start by asking you a, a specific time and place where you felt like you were a zaddy for the first time where you just like had this zattitude, if you will. zattitude. I love that. And, like, the I zaddy know, discourse. So um,
1: sometimes like, I, th- it was the first time I dated somebody younger than me and I was like maybe 28 at the time and he was 23 and I felt like Jedi Master when it came to sex.
2: (laughs) You know what I mean? I was like, this
1: is how you, this is, this is how you do it.
3: (laughs) I think that like most of my past relationships were with younger people and I more often than not whether voluntarily or not find myself as the caretaker. I don't know if I would classify myself as a zaddy, but in terms of like things that you look, uh, at four in a zaddy, like mm-hmm, the caretaker mm-hmm, aspect mm-hmm. the kind of knowing where to go i'm always i'm picking our date spots i'm setting times i'm giving them advice helping them write emails budget they you know i'm helping like people that i hook up with like do annual budgets like that's kind of like the person i am wow. if you date me i i'm very nice <laughs> i'm very nice and helpful and if you date me you will have a glow up or upgrade of some kind right, right, like right, that's right. just how i am <laughs> i, I don't even say that braggerly. like i it's just, just like my second nature right. To help people and I I don't just do that For people I date you know in 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 my everyday like I have queer People all the time being like I'm Starting a podcast like what networks do I reach out to or like Mm. I'm working on this Project like how much do I quote It for and like if I know who you are And you are queer or trans I will do That for you for free I do it for other people at a Nominal consultation <laughs> <fee>. <laughs> Nominal uh, But I always 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 I Like weekly Will do this Via text mm. message For anybody Who is looking for Financial or career um, Advice Isn't yes. it though A
1: weird transition And I felt that Even over the course Of doing this show mm. That I have gone From being a mentee To a mentor Yeah
2: yeah. Oh. Um, yeah
1: Cause it's like When we started the show That was the year My first book came out And then su- Subsequently Other have and like i don't have like you know i have people getting in touch like Mm -hmm. do you have any poems for us to publish and it's like i don't have them anymore they're all published now but here are five people usually like Uh. queer poc women native people trans people whose poems you could publish yeah and then who i i kind of act as like and i would say it, it not necessarily mentor but But the step above Frentor, Mm -hmm. which is like, you know, anytime I know that they have a book together, it's like, I know the editors now. I know the editors of all of these places because they've Mm -hmm. all hit me up for books. And it's like, my book writing days are done, but (laughs) this person has a manuscript, this person has a manuscript, this person has a manuscript. Like, I'm talking about Penguin, Grove Atlantic, I'm talking about Tin House, of course, but then also like, um, like, uh, Grey Wolf, all those places. I know all those people Mm -hmm. or like the editors of like Poetry Magazine and all that kind of stuff. Your
2: DMs are about to be insane
1: but it, i do yes. it for like the five people that i are already <laughs> my
2: sort right. of you. i do it if if you like know, know who i am yeah, <laughs> you know what yeah. i mean yeah it's really hard for me this one because i um am disgusting and like, I, I, the, there's some things about adulthood that I have a really hard time with. Like, I am not a person who uh, feels calmed by cleaning. Like, I actually feel calmed by a little bit of clutter. So, I usually, my room is a little bit of a mess. A little bit. Uh, a little bit of a mess. <laughs> when I travel, it's like a little bit of a disaster. I'm always losing and forgetting things. I don't have a wallet, as everyone knows. <laughs> Which uh, is truly insane. Being on tour with
1: Joe and like seeing where Joe's room. And it's just like the, the the suitcase has been opened and everything is everywhere. Absolutely, <laughs> truly. Uh, so
2: you know, I, I have a really hard time feeling grown because of all of these things. And I think Tommy, we talk about this, right? There yeah, I'm as- immature so. aspects of our of our personality that don't have the markers of grownness. But at the same time, like I I am settled into like not just one but two careers now, and I feel like I'm really come into who I am. And not just that, like what I need from relationships. Mm. And like after my last breakup in therapy one of the things I worked on is like knowing what I want from a relationship and not accepting less than that Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. which to me feels very grown like I'm good enough on my own financially in terms of my friendships and relationships that I don't need a man in the way that I used to Uh, and Mm. I can I can be ready to invite someone into my life <laughs> when and if they do are Do we have a live fact checker in the house? <laughs> <laughs> Producer Alex, do we get a thumbs up? No, <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, she's
3: yes. Alex
2: oh, knows. Kenya well, I mean, knows. Oh, I, I love think, you guys. I'm, more, I'm,
1: more, I'm curious though, can you be grown and not be a daddy?
2: Yeah, yes. Mm. Can you, Dennis? Tell us more. I,
4: f- I fully, th- well, so this is the thing. I refuse to ever be a zaddy, although I have had my own zaddy moments. I remember the very Dating first time. Dating a 60-year-old time, year old man? Dennis dated
1: a 60-year-old <laughs> man.
2: <laughs>
4: Let me tell you about how I was the zaddy in that relationship. No, I had this, like, like kind of early on, maybe 2014, I, like, went on this first date with this guy and we went to Vlada and Hell's Kitchen. If any of you remember that place, the it place closed, that paddled. right. Yeah. It closed. So this was, this was long enough ago that it was still in existence. It's this place that did in you know, like um, fruit infused vodkas and they were delicious. Oh God, that's right. Were they? <laughs> I loved them. I loved them. Maybe that's all that needs to be said about that. But the point is that I t- I went out on a date with this person. The bill came, I paid the whole bill which I had never done before on a date. And I felt incredibly like, I just felt like anxiety. This person was younger than me. They were smaller than me. And I was like, this is unusual. Um, (laughs) I didn't know I could feel this way because I have had kind of classically always been involved with people who are older. Um, And the funny thing is that I still feel like, like I have grown up in a lot of ways. Like I've had a glow up in the last, um, in the last few years But for sure, like, I still mostly date people who are older than me or feel older than me. A lot of my in a lot of my friend groups, I'm either the youngest person or maybe the second, even on this show, I'm the second youngest person. And I feel (laughs) like when you're surrounded by people who are older than you, the challenge with that is that it can kind of there can be a lot of excuses to not like grow up as much as you need to Mm -hmm. and like take the Mm. lead as much as you need to sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that I'm sort of constantly having to work on. But moving to New York city was really good for me. But the point is that I don't feel like I will ever be a zaddy. Will you be an auntie though? I love, I love, I love the kids. (laughs) I love the kids. So I do get people in my DMS and people reaching out also sometimes asking for mentorship in certain kinds of ways as a writer. And I don't have, I don't have, a lot as much cachet as I always feel like I need to in order to help them. But like the minute that I do, I'm like super excited to like, that is going to make me so happy. Like I love, I love the kids. I do love the kids. I want to get
3: to a conversation of mentorship before we get there. I want to talk about my, the money. Element I was just going ask to that. that. This, like, this so real. Like this is like real. very superficial and you guys can help me find like fruitful conversation yeah. with this, but like I love to pick up the tab like I'm such a Taurus. Oh. it is something that I I truly enjoy doing and I'll never do it in such a way where I'm like forcibly picking yeah. up the tab or like you know wait you know I'm not gonna like do it as some sort of power move it's just I like taking care of people if yeah. I care about you yeah, yeah. or if we're you know if it's like more of like a client thing if it's a networking thing like I just I love being able to pick up the tab and I also work for a company now that like enables me to like pick up the tab right, with right, my corporate right, right. card you know what I mean like I love that and um I I, I wonder how you all feel about the money element.
2: I mean, okay. I, I really like. That's one of my big questions about Zaddy. The t- idea Zaddy-hood. of a Zaddy in capitalism. I think in order to have that stability, that ability to like be uh, in charge of your own life, that requires a certain level of income. Right. Mm-hmm. We don't.
3: There it's there so aren't real. any Zaddies out there with like roommates. I
2: literally you know what in I mean? my doc. I'm like, <laughs> can you yes. be a Zaddy so if you have a roommate? That's so absolutely so not. Real. That's so funny. I, I have a s- roommate. I didn't even see that. <laughs> I, yeah, you know, no, you
3: can't be a Zaddy if you have a roommate. You can't be a Zaddy if you don't have any. Anything less than than a California king Okay you can't a be Cali- mm, California <laughs> king mama. You, you can't be a zaddy If you don't pay taxes you know what I mean Like I think a lot of like <laughs> zaddies are like about Financial stability <laughs> I, you know I think
2: New York is a little bit of a different context A little bit you know? no, no, A no, California a bit. king in New York yes. Living without true. a roommate in New York yes. That's insanity Nope that is I, a true zaddy That means,
3: I, That's why zaddies are far and few between in New York I so actually disagree because
2: I think uh-huh. one of the components of being a zaddy is making wise financial choices nope. like paying nope. less money for rent so you can save for retirement Joe you, you literally just want to be a, z- no. I know, I <laughs> so a zaddy I know that is absolutely something that you
4: zaddy but do. I agree with Fran even in New York City if you have roommates you are not a zaddy <laughs> thoughts out there <laughs> I Don't. Let I them disagree take on down. the California king because like I could live in the biggest space ever and I don't think I would ever buy a California king on my own because I don't love huge beds but <laughs> I just be
2: also I not don't. trying to be a dad. You're not even. trying. I'm not going to be that. But a like daddy. Joe,
3: what? Just explain. What does
2: capitalism have to do with it? I mean, right. So you know, the I think self-possession is one of the key components of being a daddy. I can just tell you through. I my, love that. Through my own journey, until I got the job that I have now, about two and a half years ago, I could not afford. My own life. I could not Mm. pick Mm up, I couldn't, Mm. I physically could not pick up the tab for dinner. I couldn't go to a lot of places for dinners. I was living that happy hour life because I often couldn't afford drinks at the bar later at night, right? Like I, that life is real. I didn't have. The ability. Was, I took the, the booze with me to the bar. It was, it was, <laughs> you know, I think one of the things that I love, love doing that to me is a marker of like self-possession is I love cooking for people, right? You're mm. Like Fran, you're talking about like caring for people is a super big way to show like uh, love for them and also sort of calming and love for yourself. I couldn't afford to go to Whole Foods mm. <laughs> and buy groceries to like cook for someone. I went I just, to Whole Foods even when I couldn't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> it's Like I'm that girl, you know. So put I put it I, on the EBT. I yeah. think you know that is sort. Of, it's like a, a way in which if you don't have access to the type of capital that's required, you can't sort of can't have some of these markers of self possession mm. that are required for a zaddyhood, and that is fucking shitty. But it's I love, like, but I love it. I mean, the reason why I love
1: picking up the tab now is because i couldn't totally before totally, yeah, totally, exactly. you know yeah. and i and and it's not like i remember like doing one time my friend lauren was like i'm not poor you don't have to do this and it's like it's not about that lauren it's just like literally i would not have been able to do this three years ago yeah. yep. but i can buy our t- we had like two drinks each i could take care yeah. of that you know right, we're am talking yeah, about right, like yeah. we didn't we, this isn't a 1500 bill we're talking about this is like 30 bucks and i can do it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. see i am yeah.
3: like i'm this is so, i mean i I throw up. I throw a party in New York uh, at the Standard East Village every month, and like I will leave. The, like, I only buy drinks for other people. Like I have drink tickets, t- drink tickets for myself, but I'm like buying rounds, getting shots, whatever. And then like drunk at like 1 a.m., I'll be like getting the the bill and be, be like, like, uh,
2: like
0: what? you 230
3: dollars at this bar? <sighs> um, but yeah, but it's still like I leave the bar feeling joyful because I've taken yeah. care for a, a bunch of queer and trans people. Yeah, you know yeah, what I yeah. mean? Yeah.
1: Mm. And it feels good to be able to. That's it. I don't. I don't think. I don't. I think a part of the daddy, uh, the zaddy thing, is wanting to provide for somebody else, Mm. right? And that's not something that I want to do. Mm. Like I I, I want to provide for For myself, right? Agreed. But I don't, I'm not necessarily out here looking to provide for somebody else. I'm not here trying to save somebody. I'm not out here trying to like uh, shower somebody else with praise and affection and gifts and all that kind of stuff necessarily.
2: I think it's an interesting thing in the gay world where you can actually, a friend of mine was dating a person who fits this um, description perfectly he was um, sort of an older guy silver hair very tall six four tommy six nice, four nice, wow. nice, uh, Jesus, you know nice. and, and just looked like a, a zaddy but like fully worked three different bar- barista jobs had seven roommates like had no set, sa- like had none of the markers so it's like this disconnect where you're like mm-hmm. you look like a zaddy and like my friend was like i am babying this person mm-hmm. i am like helping that you know helping this person so much get a cv together get a regular job and he's just like i can't he, he was also you know my friend is also 40 and he's like i can't care for a man like he's a, a child and i definitely yep. see that as well like i um the, the x that i wrote inside out about the last thing i did for him before i cut off contact for good was uh, to completely uh redo his cv with him taking out all of the misspellings oh. <laughs> and, and that actually landed him a job that he ended up you know going for a few years and was making like six figures and stuff like that and i was just like ah. it doesn't make me upset it doesn't you know like i oh no a- you don't seem upset at all <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you definitely seem cool as a cute
3: uh, it's fine
2: that i was making forty thousand dollars right. a year your and face beat red five but- <laughs> times that because i helped him redo his cv uh, uh, no but you know uh, uh, with all of the bad things that had happened in that relationship like he had taught me a lot and i was glad that i could like also yeah. sort of leave yeah. him with something that made his life a little better and now also every, every time he knows that he got that job he has to remind himself that i helped him do it that's
4: yeah. that th- see there there there's some that's kind of sick but <laughs> so that's it's great it's so I, sick. I once had um and this was like wild because I felt like in no way had I signed on for it uh, because I felt like the person wasn't holding up their end of the deal. But I had a, I had a roommate once where, um, this person was significantly older than me.
1: Oh, this fuck boy. (laughs) I remember this person. I remember this.
4: And I, I was like, I, you know the, the the their portion of the rent was often not being paid to me on time at the last minute there were like random things about living together that i thought like if you were Didn't a he 22 have Airbnb year old people
1: come in there they yes yes and the, you'd yeah. come home and there would be a random family on the couch and you're like <gasps> yeah, what from like another
4: continent oh wow like it was insane
1: and the thing is
4: i sort of felt like if they if This person had been, like, 22, 23 years old and was brand new to, like, communal living and city living. That would have made sense to me, but there was a 20-year age gap where this person was a lot older on all their profiles. They were like, I'm a daddy. And I was Mm -hmm. like, no, Mm -hmm. I'm a daddy because (laughs) I'm the one who makes sure that each bill is paid on time and in full. And, like... And I'm I'm like kind of going in the black because this apartment is expensive and you don't pay your rent half the time. And so I just like had to get out of that situation and I did. Tommy rescued me. But it was like fully insane because I was like... I never thought about that in that kind of context. Mm. Like like in a context where it's not really a friend situation, it's not a romantic situation, but
3: this person is in my circle and in my life and has to be for this reason. That might be a, a pivot to a conversation about um, what zaddyhood means in the context of queer and marginalized people. Yeah. Specifically yeah, yeah, when yeah. your zaddy figure is less queer or marginalized than you. You meaning like if your zaddy figure is white and you are not. What does that mean for you? I don't know if any of y'all saw daddy apply. Play by jeremy jeremy o'hara's friend of the pod um but like he kind of unearths a lot of questions inside this play which is basically about this daddy relationship um and and the daddy is figure is white and the guy who he's sleeping with is a lot younger and black and is an artist who's trying to make it and the the play kind of seeks to unpack like what what art what was sorry what function does queer marginalized art play when more often than not it requires white patronhood Mm. right when more often than not you require a white gatekeeper a man gatekeeper someone who might not necessarily understand
1: the art but can foot the bill in order to get you where you need to go and even if they aren't actually footing the bill they do own the gallery that you want to be in or they own Mm -hmm. the magazine that you want to be in or they own the theater that you want your thing to be in or they own the production company that you want to make your thing and when these
3: art spaces have truly so few like people of color at the top. You know yeah. what I mean? So few people, so few yes. POC gatekeepers who are getting your art through the door, especially when it comes to entertainment. You know what I mean? Like what happens to our integrity or our mm-hmm. art or our or the things that we want to make if we really do need that to get through the door? Does that mm-hmm. make our art less? Do we have to compromise the content of that art? Are
1: we selling it out? Like what does that mean for y'all? Well, I think a part of it is um, I would like to not think of it as selling out, but maybe like Selling sideways or something. Selling sideways. I do like okay. In the sense that. Selling sideways. <laughs> I love it. Very um, good. Very good. That, that like. Ooh, god. Like maybe it's a sort of a paying a do of dues thing, but I would like to think that um the more of us that get into that space, the more likelihood that space will change. Mm, you yeah. know, and that like at a certain point one of us will be at the top of that. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. so it's like I'm I would like to be able to create more space for people like me to come up after mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so maybe you do have to sell sideways for like a minute, but that doesn't mean that but but the thing is like I fully intend to create until I drop dead. Right. Yeah. So that's just one thing yeah. in the in the larger arc of the things that I want to make. Yeah. But I did have like I mean I was thankful enough to have a publisher that didn't not want to put their fingerprints on my work. Right. They mm. let it be what it was. When I got my first film commission, they didn't ask me to draw something in particular. They said it was literally an opportunity that they wanted to give me to do whatever it was that I wanted. Right. Like yeah. that's also scary in and of itself, but yep. like yep. so yep. far my um, my experiences in the publishing world and in the film world have been very, very positive. And they've been, I mean, they yeah. have been white people, mm-hmm. yeah. but mm-hmm. they weren't asking to for a specific type of indigeneity or a specific mm-hmm. type of queerness. But yeah. it also
2: took you like fucking ten years of making shit right. to yeah. get the literally the first thing published, right? right. And it, it was sort of I feel when I think about your work and your journey, it was like you worked for so hard. Uh, without publishing any books to have such mastery of your own voice, there's a zaddiness to that as well. Well,
1: that yeah. was like that, you know, when you come up in a different type of arena than where yep. you end up. Yep. Yeah. yep, 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 yep. But I will say that my first publishing opportunity came from Roxane Gay. Because she was editing Pink Magazine, the the ultimate zaddy. She (laughs) truly, not joking though. She is like
3: truly like the first person I think about when I think about someone who goes out of her way to make space and create jobs for queer marginalized. She published one
2: of my first long, a ten thousand word essay. She didn't ask me to cut it at uh, the Rumpus. Gross. Uh, Shout out to the Rumpus. I can't
3: respect that, (laughs) Roxanne. But But I do.
4: I do. I do. I agree a lot with what tommy's saying and i think friend that you bring up just a really great point about how the about the idea that like there are so many more like que- like queer and trans and poc like creators out here but until we get into the leadership roles it's like the 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 battle is not like truly won and i'm reminded a lot of the conversation that we had last season with Stephen canals when Stephen mm. talked a lot about um how he spent years i think two years shopping pose all over hollywood mm could not get a foot in the door until Ryan Murphy signed on to the project. Mm. And it's like and how um in their process they've been able to to make it work really well so that they've been able to stay really true to Steven's original vision. And Ryan has understood that like there are other voices that need to be leading the show in order to make it be as true to the storytelling as it's trying to be. And I think it's 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 I think that's amazing and it's so inspirational because it's a reminder that like sometimes for those of us who are doing that, we have to just, like, you know, continue to stomp the pavement and, and wait and find those gatekeepers because the right gatekeepers are there. And also, it is changing. Like, people are changing. Well, These yeah, industries I, are changing. And I think
1: of, like, Damon Lindelof, who um, who did Watchmen. And mm-hmm. that that story is, like, about race. But he kind of signed on to create the project but then hired a bunch of black writers. Uh-huh. You know? And, and, and like, this... This thing with ryan Murphy Murphy and pose and and like you know they do require sometimes those intimate projects of um Uh, uh, of intricacy require like a kind of white patron in order Mm -hmm. to get it into the door. But I mean, that's all just Hollywood. Somebody famous needs to endorse you before you get anything made. We can
4: go all the way back to Girlfriends starring Tracy Ellis Ross and Kelsey Grammer was one of the big producers of that and it was, Kelsey Grammer was looking for this type of project. Mara Brock Akil had it, brought it to him and they made it work Um, and I don't know that Kelsey was terribly involved in the Mm day-to-day work around it but I remember watching that show at that age. Um, I, I was in high school when it started and I was, I was just like, Kelsey Grammer is like involved in, in <laughs> fucking girlfriends, which yeah, yeah, to me yeah. felt like, like a super black TV show.
3: So to all
4: the
2: white saddies out there, <laughs> I, uh, I go
3: and sponsor a POC artist. Yes, you know what I without mean? Without
2: asking anything. Right. Else.
3: You know what? Well, right. I mean, like you you should foot the bill and like offer them mentorship. Mm-hmm. Like give them the advice that you have to offer. But then it like you will find so much joy from what is a nominal fee for you and then watching them glow all the way up and having mm played a part in that you know what i mean and then disappearing and going to fund someone else
1: Mm. i'm feeling like i'm full but i could fit one more thing inside of me dennis knows how i feel so we're gonna do dessert this week uh fran will you uh take it away
3: okay so y'all this is so dumb because I work for Netflix, full disclosure, and I'm about to endorse a Netflix show. But I promise you, I truly have nothing to gain if you go and watch this show. Synergy. I, I have no, vertical integration. I have no career-related, no career like, Brand you know. alignment. <laughs> but there's this show on Netflix called Next in Fashion that is hosted by Tan France and Alexa Chung. And, you, you know, whatever your opinions are on these hosts and judges of the show, I just have to tell you that – if you were a fan of Project Runway, which I think everyone here was at one point, or yep. have like yep. have watched clips, mm-hmm. have like yep. watched a show or whatever, yep. I think that of that show as a formative show for me, like it was the first show, I one of the few shows I could watch with my parents, um, because like we were there were just so few things that we agreed on in terms of like what we watch, mm-hmm. um, that this show kind of replicates the energy of it but nuances it and turns it all the way up. Like Go next, on. next in fashion is what Project Runway wished it had if it had the budget. You know what I mean? <laughs> and tbh yeah. if it had actual fashion cred. You know yeah. what I mean? Like next in fashion <laughs> has a so many different guest judges that really truly come from fashion, like Kirby from Pierre Moss or, you know, the people who created public school or, um, problem. Like there's so many other like designers that come through and provide mentorship and, and host as judges for the show. But more importantly, the contestants in this show, um, compete in pairs and all of these, all of these contestants, they are not amateurs. They're like, The creative, the former creative director of FUBU and like people who have dressed like when there was like someone when they at the very first episode, Tan is like, who of y'all have like dressed a celebrity and five people in the audience have dressed Beyonce
1: like or sorry five of the
3: contestants have dressed Beyonce so like these are actual designers and like one of my one of the things that I didn't love about Project Runway was that like some of the designers were like so like just graduated from Pratt kind of like vibes that I was like I can't even enjoy this because their work really is not good you know what I mean like it's 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 kind of like hard to watch the shows turn it all the way up and y'all I cannot even begin to describe how shook I was by it because I did not think I was going to love the really? show. Are we ready? Oh, you are. I don't know. And let me tell you, I cried twice oh. watching this series. But the finale episode, no spoilers, sobbed uncontrollably. Wow. It was so emotional. Mm-mm-mm. Did y'all ever watch Project Runway? Yes, yes. And I always I loved, loved it. it. And yes. the thing
1: is, I'm, I, it wasn't totally without cred in the sense that like, there were sometimes people of note who were uh, mentors or guests or whatever but it didn't seem to have the same cred that for example like a show like top chef has mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with food right mm-hmm. um in fact i feel like a lot of people were openly a lot of fashion people were openly disdainful of Project one yes, way yes, 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 in the yeah. same way that people in fashion were disdainful of like america's next top model right. yeah. they weren't about like cranking out people they were about making television right
4: yes yeah. yeah, I so I watched the first two seasons of Project Runway and after that I largely stopped, yeah. <laughs> shocking no one. Um, and part of the reason, I loved it at the time, like I loved Wendy Pepper and her antics in season one, like Love I'll never forget her. Wendy but um, the thing is, I always felt like that show was kind of lacking um, an element of mentorship, A Little zhuzh. you know, like I always felt... Like, I, I loved Tim Gunn, like everyone else in the Tim audience. And he'd go into the room and he'd be like, make it work, make it work. But I always felt like... Designers. Are, that's, a, Designers. That's, a, that's, a, that's a
2: really good uh, Tim Gunn, Dennis. <laughs> well, you know, I Express. did watch those first two seasons.
4: But, <laughs> but like, I just always, felt like, there wasn't, like, an aspect of mentorship to the show. It was very sink or swim, which is sort of, like, fine. But you can tell that some of the people there are, like, brand new. And mm-hmm. so... I always like. I preferred like the voice, like like as a it's a singing show, but I preferred that because there's just that element of teamwork and mentorship from from the judges, where they're really trying to help develop you, develop your craft, and like set you up, regardless of the results of the show. And so it seems more in tune to creating the artist that the artist wants to be. Yes, I say also love Kelly Clarkson, absolutely. Also <laughs> that,
3: and I mean the show also has really great queer contestants. There's a contestant mm. who like has no formal training and exclusively creates costumes for the ball scene the oh, ballroom wow, right, scene right, you right, know right. like comes from ballroom and there Marco Marco is one of the contestants yep. and like he does so much for like trans and non-binary like models and like so much of their designs come through like kink and fetish cultures. so I love mm. the kind of like Ooh. uninhibited queerness that also yeah. showed up in this. that's show. amazing anyways go watch Next in Fashion on mm, Netflix again snaps. I work for Netflix but I promise this is not an <laughs> ad oh I love it brand
2: alignment
1: This episode of Food for Thought is made possible by the generous, unequivocal support of Rosé and our new home at iHeartRadio. Our producer is our literal daddy, Alexandra De Palma. Oh, dad. Our production manager is our other literal daddy, Elizabeth D. Aww. And our social media manager is our third literal daddy, Christina Tucker. <laughs> Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or I'm turning this car right around. I'm not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I am Tommy Atibes Pico. You can find me at HeyTV. H e y t e e b s on all relevant social media. I'm Fran. You can find me at Fran
3: Squish Co. Please Venmo me. I uh, would love for you to Venmo me. Venmo Ven. request. <laughs> yeah. yeah oh for, for, <laughs> yeah Venmo
2: requests me for emotional damage. you love buying people dinner you didn't say
0: that oh, you had Venmo to be at the, the dinner friend, for, yeah,
3: feel free to oh Venmo request god. me like if you know my middle name uh, oh. and have my phone number
4: oh my god <laughs> I can't I'm Dennis you can find me on Twitter at the Earl Denden
2: T-H-E-E-A-R-L-D-E-N-D-E-N and I'm Joe you can find me at www.josephosmondson.com
1: find us on Instagram as gay sluts who read and join us on Facebook and Twitter at food for thought pod where each week we pin some questions at the top of our page to continue the discussion of this week's main topic Mm. sign up for our newsletter for a list of everything we're reading and some extra delectable content at foodforthoughtpodcast.com and finally send your questions, thoughts concerns and dick Dick pics pics. to thoughts at foodforthoughtpodcast.com as always that's food, the number 4 and thoughts spelled how? T-H-O-T See you next week!